Today's scripture reading comes from Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. No sooner had Boaz gone up to the gate and sat down there than the next of kin, of whom Boaz had spoken, came passing by. So Boaz said, Come over, friend, sit down here. And he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. He then said to the next of kin, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our kinsman Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, redeem it. But if you'll not, tell me so that I may know, for there was no one prior to you to redeem it, and I come after you. So he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you acquire the field from the hand of Naomi, you are also acquiring Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead man, to maintain the death's man name on his inheritance. At this, the next of kin said, I cannot redeem it for myself without damaging my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times of Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one took off a sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the next of kin said to Boaz, acquire it for yourself, he took off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have acquired from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elamech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Malon, to be my wife, to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance, in order that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his kindred and then from the gate of his native place. Today you are witnesses. Then all the people who were at the gate, along with the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your life like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you produce children in Ephrathah and bestow in, a, in the name, a name of the Bethlehem. And through the children that the Lord will give you by this young woman, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the gift of your word, especially in these difficult times. Help us to hear in those words read from Scripture and in these words of proclamation, your word. We believe you can and do speak today. So speak to us, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. It is in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen. Well, if you were to sum up 2020 in a single phrase, it might be this. Just when you think it can't get any worse. That's 2020, isn't it? 
Since back in March, we've been dealing with this global pandemic that has radically altered life as we know it. COVID-19 has now taken nearly 200,000 lives in the United States alone. It's led to a millions of people losing their jobs. Businesses have had to close. Schools, workplaces, and churches have had to move to an online-only format, leaving so many of us missing that precious person-to-person -person contact we had known before that we miss today. And if things weren't bad enough already, this last month, wildfires have broken out around California and Oregon. The Bobcat Fire is the one closest to this church campus and to my home in Altadena. That fire has filled the air in this valley with smoke. It's darkened the skies. And if that was not enough, Hurricane Sally arrived later this week in Florida and Alabama, bringing devastating floods. And the fires and floods remind us of a greater ecological crisis that promises more to come if it's not addressed. Many of us are wondering, will it be locusts next, or maybe boils or frogs just when you think it can't get any worse? That's 2020. And it's left many people asking this simple question, can the world be redeemed? Redemption, as the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines it, means to buy or to win back or to free from what distresses or harms. Can the world be won back? Can it be freed from what distresses or harms or are the problems we face today so big and intractable they are, well, irredeemable? You might wonder that today about someone with whom you disagree politically. Is that person irredeemable? They might wonder that about you. We might wonder together, do our differences, political or otherwise, make life together as a nation, life as a global community, irredeemable? Well, to answer that question, can the world be redeemed? We do what believers have done for thousands of years. We go to our scriptures to listen there for God's word. And there we hear story after story of how God's people lamented that the world, their world, the enemies they faced, the obstacles they faced, it all seemed too much. It seemed irredeemable. Naomi is one example. You'll recall that back in chapter 1 of Ruth, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasantness. Call me Mara. For Mara means bitter, and the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. The ancient people of God, we read in the book of Exodus, cried out to God in distress back in the land of Egypt. Moses came saying he would deliver them by God's hand. But when Moses arrived to deliver them from the hand of Pharaoh, at first things got worse. Moses went up and told Pharaoh to let his people go, and Pharaoh then made life harder, not easier, for the ancient Hebrew people. And then you recall the plagues came. There was darkened skies and boils and locusts and frogs. And the Hebrew people at this time were still enslaved. They surely wondered, is the world, is our world irredeemable? But then 
redemption came. It didn't come as fast as God's people wanted it to. Often it does not. Often God's people have to practice patience, but redemption came. That enslaved people in Egypt knew freedom from Pharaoh and from the plagues, and they got to then be a part of God's redemptive work out in the world. For Naomi, redemption didn't come right away. At first, she knew only bitterness. After losing her husband and sons to death, she and Ruth, her Moabite daughter-in-law, moved to Naomi's former home in Bethlehem of Judah. There, they are so poor that Ruth, an immigrant Moabite, has to go out into the fields and glean, collect the leftover grain that was on the ground after the workers had harvested the field. But into that bitter life, God brought redemption. Ruth, in her gleaning, happened upon a field belonging to Boaz, and Boaz was a relative of Naomi's and a man of means. And he'd heard of Ruth's kindness towards Naomi. Boaz told his workers to let Ruth pick some of the standing grain, not just the fallen grain. He invited her to enjoy food and drink as much as she could eat and drink at the table with his other workers. And then when Ruth brought home to Naomi this treasure trove of grain, Naomi asked her, where did you get that much grain? What field did you go to? And she said, a field belonging to Boaz. And Naomi said, Boaz, Boaz is a relative of ours. Boaz, he can be a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer. That refers to an obligation in biblical times to rescue a family member who had fallen on hard times. In the book of Leviticus, we read of how if an individual in ancient Israel had fallen so deep into debt that they had to sell their property and then themselves as slaves, a family member of that person could redeem them. They could say, I buy this person back. I buy their land back. I am family to them. They are family to me. We also read in Deuteronomy of a leveret marriage custom. In that day, if you were married to a man and he died, then you might be left destitute as his widow. For this was back when women did not have the same rights as men when it came to property ownership or inheritance. So to protect such a widow, there was an obligation. We read in Deuteronomy, the brother of the deceased man was to marry his brother's widow. That way she would not be left impoverished or destitute. Some form of this biblical family obligation in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, some derivative of it seems to be at work in Naomi's mind, for she calls Boaz a kinsman redeemer. Likely, she imagines that Boaz might help them win back land that her husband, Elimelech, had owned previously in Bethlehem. She clearly hopes he will marry Ruth. That would give Ruth and Naomi a male member of their household, and the chance for their family line to continue. Naomi encourages Ruth to approach Boaz, and Naomi hopes Boaz might lift her, Naomi, and Ruth out of poverty, declare they are family to me, be a true kinsman redeemer. 
Well, Ruth not only approaches Boaz, she propositions him. Boaz says, I want to accept your proposal of marriage. Your kindness is legendary. You're even kind in making such a proposition to me, for I am older and you younger, but there is another man who would be first in line to be your kinsman, redeemer. He might want the land that belongs to Elimelech. He might disrupt our plans to be wed, but I have an idea. And Boaz hatches a plan. The next day, Boaz sees this kinsman redeemer, this relative of his, and he says, friend, let's sit down here in this very public place. And while we're at it, let me, let me gather 10 elders just to observe and take notes on everything that's about to happen. Now, I have some news to pass on to you. Naomi, who came back from Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to her husband, our brother, Elimelech. You're the first in line to redeem it, but if you chose not to redeem it, then I would be next in line for it. So would you like to buy this land from Naomi? Well, of course, he said. That's a precious piece of real estate. This is great news, says this kinsman redeemer. But then Boaz says, oh, but there's this little matter of Naomi and her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. You see, they're widows. And of course, if you were to buy back Elimelech's land, you would be obliged to marry Ruth. It's only right as a way to continue Elimelech's family name. Don't you agree? And this kinsman redeemer says, you know, maybe you should take the land. Maybe, maybe that would be best. You see, if I were to marry Ruth, it would mess up my estate, mess up my inheritance. You want me to have it, Boaz says. Well, if you insist, but let's make it official. And then they do the ancient equivalent of signing a contract at that time. This other kinsman redeemer takes off a sandal and gives it to Boaz. And that symbolizes that he has given over rights to this land that belonged to Elimelech to Boaz. Boaz gets to marry Ruth and gets a new parcel of land. Naomi and Ruth are lifted up from the status as poor widows, and we see redemption. What was lost was won back. The story of Ruth reminds us, as the story of Exodus does, that no matter how bad circumstances can appear, no matter how great the loss we know right now, God can redeem. God does redeem. God will redeem a poor, widowed immigrant like Ruth can be lifted up and become a thriving member of a large family of faith. From that very family with Ruth as a great, great grandmother, King David would arise to rule Israel. If God can lift up a poor, widowed immigrant like Ruth, if God can lift up an enslaved people in Egypt, if God can lift up the sick and the outcast and the hungry as God did through the ministry of Jesus Christ, then we have to ask ourselves, is our situation really irredeemable? Is our world really irredeemable? Shaka Sangor challenges people today with his story and says, you really think your life, your world is irredeemable? If you really think that, look at me. He tells his story in a TED talk. He speaks of how at age 17, he was shot three times on a corner of Detroit near where he lived. 
The friend brought him to the hospital and they were able to remove the three bullets, but something else had gotten into him that day, something he would call paranoia. That paranoia then turned to violence. And this honor roll student who had previously wanted to be a doctor, just one year after he was shot, would shoot another man to death. Sangor then tells of going to prison and falling into drug dealing and hostility towards other inmates. He speaks of blaming everyone in the world but himself for his predicament. He even tells of getting placed in solitary confinement for seven years, a punishment he crawls inhumane and barbarous. Pacing his cell one day, an officer brought him the mail. Sangor saw a letter from his son. He opened it and saw these words all in caps written by a little boy. My mama told me why you was in prison, murder. Don't kill, Dad. Jesus watches what you do. Pray to him. Sanger calls that letter a turning point. It led him to self-examination, and a transformation began with the help of mentors, with the help of literature, especially writings by black authors, with the help of family. He began a journey of what he calls redemption. He found power in admitting fault and knowing forgiveness, and his heart went out to the millions of other prisoners who were part of a system that he saw firsthand was more of a warehouse than it was a place for redemption, for rehabilitation. Sangor was freed from prison more than 10 years ago. Today, he's a college lecturer at the University of Michigan, a director's fellow at MIT and an author, and he is an advocate for reform in the criminal justice system, arguing it should place greater emphasis on rehabilitation. You don't believe the redemption of people is possible, he asks audiences. Well, just look at me. Just look at me. Redemption is possible. Sean Hopwood would say the same thing. You don't believe redemption is possible? He would say, then just look at me. Hopwood is now a tenured law professor at Georgetown University, but he too knew firsthand the confinement of a prison cell. He grew up not in Detroit, but a small town in Nebraska, and his crime was not shooting another man. His crime of choice was armed robbery. After the fourth time at age 23, he was thrown in prison. He too would know the power of self-examination and redemption. He sought refuge in the prison's law library, and there he began doing legal research for other inmates. He began writing notes to the lawyers of those inmates, and then he began writing legal briefs. Well, one of those briefs he wrote while in prison led the Supreme Court to accept a prisoner's petition. When he was finally released, he went on to law school and then to teaching law at Georgetown. And he argues that too often the prison system hardens people rather than helps them reform. He argues for shorter sentences, saying people can be redeemed. If you don't believe that, he says, look at me. Well, as Christians, we believe not only is redemption possible, we believe redemption has taken place in Jesus Christ. 
As the book of Colossians puts it, God the Father has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We believe that God doesn't simply see the worst thing we've ever done. The God we know in Christ may see sin, but God forgives it. God transfers us from a way of life we'd known before, one where we were lost in sin to a new life with a regenerative, redemptive power of Christ at work in us by the Holy Spirit. That Spirit is at work in you. God doesn't simply judge you by your missteps. God judges you based on the life of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that Savior has claimed you as His own. That Savior has redeemed you has said, you are family to me. I am family to you. Christ's life is ours. By faith, he makes us children of God. With Christ, you're not simply forgiven. You have him at work in you, and you get to go out and be part of God's work of redemption in the world. God even restores land scorched and flooded land. Land, we read in the Bible, can be redeemed, will be redeemed. In the book of Ruth, God doesn't just redeem Ruth and Naomi. God redeems their land. That land had been Naomi's sustenance. We all need land for sustenance and life. So a God who redeems us must be at work redeeming the world on which we depend. And we read this in Scripture. God doesn't just redeem the people of ancient Israel. God redeems the land of ancient Israel. And in the book of Revelation, when we get a glimpse of God's promised future, we don't see the destruction of the earth or an escape from the earth. We read of a renewed, restored, redeemed earth, a new heaven and a new earth. And we can be part of that redemptive work now with Christ at work in us. Can the world be redeemed? Our faith says absolutely. And we see glimpses of that when blue skies replace smoke-filled ones. We see it when new life springs forth from the ground. We see it when a person imprisoned for violence becomes a teacher and mentor for others in justice and compassion. But most of all, we see it in Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead and with his resurrection we see that even the sinful world that had put him to death could be and would be redeemed. As Christians we now get to be part of God's redemptive work in the world so don't give up on your world or your neighbor or yourself. No one and no place is beyond redemption. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.